Merry Christmas, my friends. Today's message, three questions for Christmas. My text, Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. You know, you never really know how a baby will turn out. I mean, parents and grandparents have been wondering about babies since, well, time began. And it must have been that way when Jesus was born as well. Luke chapter 2, verse 19 tells us that after the shepherds visited Mary, she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I mean, there was certainly a lot to think about. Things like Luke 1, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, his kingdom will never end. Or Luke 2, verse 11, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Perhaps you're familiar with Mark Lowry's song, Mary, Did You Know? He poses an interesting question. He says, Mary, did you know that your baby is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? This sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. You know, you never know how a baby will turn out, do you? This one turned out to be the savior of the world. But not everyone knows that or understands that or even believes it. As we prepare for Christmas, I want to remind ourselves once again who Jesus really is. That may seem like a strange thing to do on a Christmas day. But in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, it offers a threefold picture of our Lord. This verse is part of John's introduction where he introduces himself and wishes his readers grace and peace. But then comes his description of Jesus. He writes, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. These three phrases help us understand the true identity of the Bethlehem-born baby. Each answers a question we'd like to ask about Jesus. Here's question number one. Can we trust him? You know, this question is the most basic of all. I mean, the men and women of this generation have heard the name of Jesus many times. What they want to know is quite simple. Can I trust him? And in a world of religious charlatans, this is where we must begin. We discover the answer in John's first title. He calls Jesus the faithful witness. A witness tells what he has seen or heard. A faithful witness is one whose testimony is reliable every time. John means that Jesus can be relied upon to tell the truth. When he speaks, he speaks only the truth. His words are absolutely true and authoritative. 1 Timothy 6.13 speaks of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. Now, what did he say when he stood before Pilate? Well, John 18.37 records him saying, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. Jesus is the supreme truth teller, and those who want to find the truth must listen to him. Now, writing several hundred years ago, one commentator said that the title Faithful Witness means four things. What God said, Jesus made known. He taught without regard to the words of men. He was faithful even in death. He will reveal the truth in the end. John Watson has written, 
No one has yet discovered the word Jesus ought to have said. None suggested the better word he might have said. No action of his has shocked our moral sense. None has fallen short of the ideal. He is full of surprises, but they are all the surprises of perfection. You see, friends, every person has to deal with this fundamental issue. Can I trust Jesus? Now, some people are going to say yes. Others will say no. But until this issue is settled, there's no point in talking about anything else. I remember reading about a story by a guy by the name of Bob Harrington. He was known as the chaplain of Bourbon Street. And also Madeline Murray O'Hare, an atheist. They had a debate on television. This was probably back in the 60s or 70s. But at one point, someone in the audience asked Mrs. O'Hare what she was going to do when Jesus returned. What would she say then? But with great confidence, she declared, it won't happen, so I don't have to worry about it. To which Chaplain Harrington replied, the Bible contains 318 verses that speak of the return of Jesus. She has just said he is not going to return. So over here you have 318 verses in the book of God, and over there you have got one verse from the book of O'Hare. Now who are you going to believe? That's the question. Who are you going to believe? Now suppose you don't want to take my word for it. Then then go ahead and read the record for yourself. Set aside 30 days to read the gospel account. Read the story for yourself, then come to your own conclusions. I, I will tell you what I believe will happen. If you read with an open mind and an open heart, you will come to the inevitable conclusion that what Jesus said is true, that he is the truth, and that his word can be eternally trusted. Now, I'm not saying anything to try to prove it to you. I simply challenge you to read it for yourself. Make up your own mind, and when you do, you will find that he is entirely trustworthy. Now, here's question number two. Does he have the power to help me? The answer is found in John's second title for Jesus. He calls him the firstborn from the dead. This refers to his resurrection from the dead. When he rose from the dead, he was the firstborn from the dead. Now, what exactly does that mean? It means he's the first person who ever rose from the dead, never to die again. Now, during his ministry, Jesus raised several people from the dead, including Lazarus, who'd been dead four days. You can read that story in John 11. Each occasion was a rather remarkable miracle, but they had this in common. All the people Jesus raised would eventually die again, but not Jesus. When he came forth from the tomb on Easter morning, he rose once and for all. When he left the grave, he left for good. So Jesus is the firstborn from the dead in the sense that he is the first in a long line of people who will be raised from the dead, never to die again. And personally, I find great comfort in this. Now, in my 35 years or so of pastoral ministry, I presided at over 170 funerals. I know what it's like to stand at the graveside and try to say something hopeful in the callous face of death. It's not easy to pray when someone you love has been taken from you. It's no wonder the Bible calls death the last enemy. Now, in those moments, I find strength in one thing and one thing only. Jesus has conquered the grave and done what no mortal man has ever done. He has come back from the dead, never to die again. 
So what happens to those who believe in him? Well, thank God we are not left to wonder or to speculate. God himself has spoken on that subject. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Did you catch that? If we believe. See, it's as simple and as difficult as that. You will never convince yourself of the resurrection by standing in a cemetery. If you go and wait for a resurrection, you're going to have to wait for a long time. After all, the last one happened 2,000 plus years ago. But we have the word of God which overrides anything we see. Our faith in the resurrection of the dead does not rest in what our eyes can see. Our faith rests in that act of God whereby he raised Jesus from the dead. If God can do that, he can do anything. So does Jesus have the power to help you? Yes, because he's the firstborn from the dead. Well, here's question number three. Will he take care of my future? Well, the answer comes in John's final title for Jesus. It is kind of breathtaking when you think about it. He calls Jesus the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, the word for ruler means he's the ultimate authority over all the kings of the earth. I mean, they're great, but he's greater. They're, they're mighty, but he is mightier. I mean, millions answer to them, but they answer to him. He's not merely one of the kings. He rules over them as king of kings. So let me put it this way. If the president says to Jesus, how can you be the ruler over me? I have my office by the election of the people of the United States, a sovereign nation, and by virtue of a constitutional inauguration and installation. Jesus will answer, I have my office as ruler over you by God's election and by virtue of my resurrection from the dead, my indestructible life, and my installation at God's right hand. Friends, this is true no matter who occupies the White House. It's as true for George Washington as it is for Donald Trump. It's as true for Abraham Lincoln as it was for John Kennedy or Bill Clinton or Barack Obama or any of the Bushes or whoever comes next. In the first century, the mighty emperor Nero thought he was the ruler of the kings of the earth. He held in his hands the power of life and death. I mean, thumbs up, one man lived. Thumbs down, one man died. It's even said that he ordered the burning of Rome and then blamed it on the early Christians. He had Paul the apostle beheaded thinking that the Christian movement would die with him. But now 2,000 years have passed and the tables have turned. We, we name our dogs Nero and we call our sons Paul. I mean, who are the rulers of the earth John is talking about? Well, these are the political leaders, mayors and councilmen, chairmen, governors, congressmen, senators, presidents, prime ministers, kings, dictators of every variety. They are all small-time kings who rule tiny realms and mighty kings who rule vast empires. Name the ruler, and Jesus is ruler over them all. It is true this world's in a mess. That's why it's hard to believe this is true. All the evidence seems to prove in the, move in the opposite direction. I mean, after all, the pornographers go free. The baby killers are untouched. Politicians break the same laws they write. The drug dealers make their millions. Nations arm themselves for total destruction. And when you look around, you can make a good case that Satan is the ruler of the kings of the earth. But friends, it only seems that way. Satan has no power except that granted to him by God. In due time and at the proper moment, Jesus will step back on the stage of world history. And just think of it. The hands that were nailed to the cross will someday rule the world. Though we don't see it today, it is certain and sure of fulfillment. 
That is what the book of Revelation is all about. Read it for yourself and see how the story ends. In the meantime, at this very moment, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. By him they reign, by him they're restrained, by him they're replaced, by him they'll be judged. So, will Jesus take care of my future? Yes, he will. For he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. You're in good hands. <laughs> Not when you buy Allstate. But you're in good hands when you're in his hands, for those hands rule the universe. Ultimate questions. But that was not evident on that first night in Bethlehem. A casual onlooker would not have suspected the earth-shaking events that were taking place in a forgotten stable in a tiny village in a remote corner of the Roman Empire. The prospects for this young child did not seem very promising. You never can tell how a baby will turn out. But this one would surprise us all, and we are still surprised by him 2,000 years later. So what's our takeaway on Christmas Day? Simply this, hold on tight to Jesus. There's no security elsewhere. Today as yesterday and tomorrow as today. He is the answer to the deepest questions of life. Can I trust him? Yes, I can. For he is the faithful witness. Does he have the power to help me? Yes, he does, for he is the firstborn from the dead. Will he take care of my future? Yes, he will, for he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. We all need him, and we need him more than we know. The truth is worth repeating. You are in good hands when you are in his hands, for those hands rule the universe. Place your life in his strong hands, and you will never be disappointed. Have a Merry Christmas. Until the next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion. God bless.